It's good to be in the presence of the Lord this evening. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to be able to share with you tonight something, obviously, the Lord gave me. Um, but the last time that I spoke to you, I spoke out of an exhortation from Nehemiah 4.14, which said, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And those of you that were here, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was something that had hit me really, really hard. And, it, and it's something that, I, I, that to me today, I, I, when I think about Nehemiah's exhortation, it's something that we need to apply to our lives today. Fight for your brothers. Fight for, you know, for men and for masculinity and for, um, you know, men to rise up. Fight for, you know, your sons because they're under attack. Uh, their masculinity is under attack. When they go to rise up and be boys, what happens? They get pushed down or they get told that they're, you know, they're hyperactive or this and that and they want to medicate them. And then we see, we see that. We need to fight for our sons, teach them what it is to be, to be men, to be godly men, to be responsible, to be um, boys, but to also be men and, and have that example. Too many boys are without fathers. And because they're without fathers, there's numbers of things that uh, enter into their lives, uh, crime and so many different things. Uh, uh, and men, uh, boys need their dads. And so we talked about that. We talked about fight for your daughters. Teach them what it, what it is to, to be a man, to, be, uh, to respect a woman. And, and yet, yet all of those things are protect them from, you know, uh, from negative influences and, and from creeps. If I can say it, uh, in it in any other way. I mean, I think that's the number one uh, job from, from a dad is protecting their daughters from creeps. You know, and then we went on to talk about, um, you know, uh, fight for your wives. And it said, fight for your wives, not with your wives. You know, fight for your wives, encourage them, lift them up, you know, um, Pour affirmation on them. Let them know they're beautiful, they're appreciated, um, they're valuable. You know, that's fighting for your wife. If you tear her down, there's not much to fight for because there's nothing there. But when you encourage, when you, when you lift up your wife, when you hold her hand or whatever it is that you do, men, as long as it lifts up your wife, that's, that's fighting for your wife. Then it says fight for your homes and, and uh, you know, whether you want to fight the mortgage company or the tax collector you know, or the lawn guy, whoever you want to fight on for your homes, fight for it. But in our nation today, there are many fights and, and many worthy fights. Some fights we see, we're like, that's not even worth fighting for. Right? You look and say, well, you can die on that hill. I'm not. But there are fights that are worth having. And as Christians, we need to be engaged in those fights. The fight for our children to have an education without radical Marxist indoctrination through critical race theory, transsexual and homosexual grooming, through literature, through administrators, and through teachers. We see this and we're like, I just want my kid to learn math, history, science, all these things, but I, I don't want my child to learn this. And so that's a fight worth having. Because if we don't stand in the gap for our children, they're going to be run over, and then we're going to look back and wonder, what's wrong with my kid? 
You know, not all of us can send our kids to private school. I get that, and I respect that. But there is also this, this need to um, fight these things and to also, you know, instill in our children that this is not, this is not right, this is not even normal. You know, so it's a fight worth having. The fight for the unborn. Amen. While the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade has intensified this fight, it is right and scriptural to do so. I'm going to say that again. To fight for the unborn is right and it is scriptural to do that. Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You don't have a baby in the womb saying, what are you doing with that? You don't hear the baby scream. You don't hear it cry out in agony. You don't hear it groan. God does, but we don't. And, and people, uh, people think, oh, it's just nothing to do it. And they don't know that the, the, the word of God tells us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for, for the rights of all who are destitute, Proverbs 31.8. So we have a fight. And even as we see, uh, it's like, we, boy, when, that, when, that, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was like striking the hornet's nest. You know, you could see them just, just, uh, just going crazy, crazy over murdering a child. And so radical now that they make it to where in California, 28 days after birth. That's not, that's murder. Abortion is murder, but this is even, I mean, outside the womb? Come on, how depraved can you be? It's a fight worth having. It's a fight worth having. The right to protect and defend oneself, let me try that again. The right to protect and defend oneself, family, and home. The Second Amendment is a right endowed by our Creator and is also a right that says shall not be infringed. Now, I'm not looking to get political on you. I'm just saying there are fights to have, and these are worthy fights. You know, if I can't defend my family, if I can't defend my home, if I can't defend myself, it, it is. It's absolutely insane. We'll take away the rights of the, of the law-abiding person, but we'll, we, we won't touch the criminal. Yeah, welcome to New York. You're right. You're right. And so we see this. So this is a good fight to have. But tonight, I want to speak to you of another fight. Not one like that I had this weekend with my wife. Not that fight. Okay, I'm not going to go in there. Or the fight with the dog. No, none of those. I'm not going to go there. But where I want to go is Paul is encouraging a young man named Timothy. And Paul says to him in 1 Timothy, if you're taking notes, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I want to take that first part, fight the good fight of faith. See, I like a good fight. We all, you, Pastor Rick, MMA, Joe, MMA, they like good fights. Me, not so much. But 
I mean, we're born, you know, how, how do I say it? We're born to, well, I want to say we're born to fight. See, if you believe in something so much, you'll fight for it, right? We're born to fight. You know, growing up, and uh, I remember my first fight, I was playing Skelly. Uh, some of you will know what it is, some of you won't. That's okay. It's a, it's a little street game with a bottle cap where you melted crayon in it, and then you had to play the, go around the board and stuff like this. And I remember my first fight, I, I hit the other kid's um, bottle cap, and it went off the board, or, or out of the board, and he pushed me. Hey. So I pushed him back, and he pushed me again. And I pushed him back, and he pushed me again. I remember saying the third time, I said, if he pushes me one more time, I'm going to punch him. Now, I was, I mean, I was not very strong. I mean, if a strong wind would, I, would blow me over, I would just know. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't rocky or nothing like that. I was like, but I, I was, I'm, you know, so he pushed me the third time, and I hit him in the chin, and he went down. And everybody looked at me. You would have thought I was rocky then. I got picked for everything first that day. First in baseball, first in basketball. But we, we have an in, innate thing about fight. Moms, if somebody comes against your kid, ooh, there's a fight. There's a fight. You know, so we have that instinct, inner instinct in us to fight. But, there's, but here, this, in, this inner instinct is not the inch, this inner instinct is not going to be sufficient for the fight that, that is the fight of faith. See, that's a fight born of the spirit. That's a fight born being close to the Lord. See, because you, you can get into fights and you can be fighting battles and, and God's like, I'm not in on that fight. And so you're fighting in vain. And, or you're fighting it and you wonder, why am I tied? Why am I discouraged? Why, or why am I getting beaten? You're in the wrong fight. And so when Paul, I'm sorry, when, yes, when Paul is encouraging a young Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, how does that, I mean, think about it. It's, you can breeze by that, fight the good fight of faith. Oh, yeah, fight the good fight of faith. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. But what does it mean? Right? It's not something you can just gloss over. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. Well, what does it look like? Oh, I don't know. But so, when it says fight the good fight of faith, I think we need to uh, put the brakes on and say, okay, what does that mean? What does it look like? And then uh, not only what does it mean, what does it look like, but then how do I apply it and how do I get into the fight? Because, hey, I, I want to get into the fight too. I mean, if it says fight the good fight of faith, I, I, I want to fight the fight of faith. Don't we all? And so the good fight of faith, well, what is it? Well, what does it look like? How does Scripture portray the good fight of faith? Let me give you three examples. First and foremost, Jesus. If we're ever going to look at an example, Jesus is our example. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Jesus, we know he's in the wilderness now and he's being tempted by the devil. And I can, we can look at all of that and say, well, there's a good fight of faith. But I wanted to pull out one portion of that Scripture, one fight that he had, with the devil, and it says here again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What does the good fight of faith look like? Standing on the word of God and using the word of God to fight your battles. You know, you can complain about situations. Oh, the, you know, you can, the enemy can come at you and you can oh, try to resist and do that. And so you're going to fall every time. The enemy can tempt you, and if you say, and if you just hold on and you, you white-knuckle it, oh, well, you know, the devil's tempting me, but, you know, I'm holding on. You're going to slip in a matter of moments. Because we can't fight the devil on our own. I can't fight temptation on my own. The Bible even says that. It says, draw near to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So if I'm trying to white-knuckle it, guess who I'm not drawing near to? I'm not drawing near to God. I'm just holding on, 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 you know, I got this. I can, I can handle this. I'm going to make it through. I'm going to make it through. And then before you know it, Lord Jesus, forgive me, I've, I've fallen. Answer to each and every one of us. But to fight the good fight of faith is to do, Jesus did it. He picked up the sword of the spirit and he slashed the enemy. And so fighting the good fight of faith is fighting by using the word of God rightly. You know, when I looked at this, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Now, I was looking at that and I was wondering, did he show him a high mountain? But it says he took him to a high mountain. Was the devil and Jesus climbing a high mountain together to get to the top? Was, was Jesus allowing the enemy to tempt him to a certain point to even climb to the top of the mountain to say to, to allow the enemy to show to show him what he to show him the temptation to show him what he was will, willing to present to him and then come against it. I, I I don't know. I don't have that. I was just looking at that and saying he took him to a high mountain. Then I stopped and I wondered, hmm, was it something he seen? Did it was it did he climb? What was it? Because it says he took him to a very high mountain. So. It, I was just very intrigued by that when I saw that. But we see here that he stands on the word of God against Satan. And so if we want to fight the good fight of fight, faith, then we need to stand on the word of God. We need to become familiar with the word of God. We need to have the word of God available so that we can use it. You know, it's, it's one thing to come to church. It's one thing to worship and things like that, but it's another thing to get in the word and let the word get in you so that when the time comes, you can use the word back to the enemy. You know, the word is alive and it's powerful. And as the Bible says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts and it pierces. And so it's right to use the word of God. It's right to use it in the right time, in the right place when the enemy is coming at you, that you can stand your ground. And you can speak the word of God and the enemy will flee. And so you're fighting the good fight of faith. Another one, Peter. In Acts 2, 22 through 24, Peter says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, 
putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now, this is pretty amazing when you, when you look at this sermon that Peter is giving. Understand, he walked with Jesus those three years, um, and this sermon came about by that infilling of the Holy Spirit. We're in, we're in Acts chapter 2. That's the day of Pentecost. Peter's giving a sermon, and if you ask me, Peter's wondering, where did these words come from? Hear what he's speak, he speaking. Remember, this is the one who said, oh, I'm never going to deny you, and then denies him. This is the one who said uh, on the boat, well, you know, gets in the water, wraps a cloth around him, says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. This was a man who was pretty much full of himself, broken uh, and, and wept bitterly when he denied the Lord. Jesus restores him. Forty days later, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives a powerful testimony of who Jesus is. This man, that man. Oh, uh, you know, and we can look at each and every one of us, each and every one of us, and we can see while there was, you know, I've acted like Peter many a times. Got full of myself. Oh, I can do this. You know, I'll never, do, oh, Lord, I'll never forsake you. I won't do that. I won't do this. Only to end up doing those things, or you know, um, you know, just thinking that I got it all together, or I got the word, or I know what I'm doing, and and yet no. It's re, it's seeing. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, giving a powerful testimony of who Jesus is. And when he goes and he says here, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God performed through him. But then when he goes on to say that this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Wow, that's revelation. See, that's revelation. See, when you're going to share the Lord, You've got, you, it's not about sharing the deep things of the Lord, but you can't share something you don't know. You know, think about it. If you don't know the Lord, if you're not spending time with the Lord, it's awfully hard to share something about Jesus you don't know. And so here it is. Peter's been with him for three years. Fall, failed. Jesus restores him, filled with the Holy Spirit, and gives this powerful testimony of who Jesus is. And it says in the midst of that, at that time, after this sermon, 3,000 people were saved in that time. And now this is, this is another example of what it is to fight the good fight of faith. The Fighting the good fight of faith is sharing who Jesus is to you, what you know about Jesus. The, sharing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. You know, you say, well, Jesus died for your sins. Yes, he died for my sins, but guess what? He not only died, but he, he, he snatched the keys of sickness, death, and hell. Then he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for me. Do you understand? No, no. Well, Jesus died for your sins. Everybody knows that. Some people just don't care. But when you go beyond that, oh, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but he also snatched the keys from Satan. He also defeated death. And when he, when he rose from the grave, rocks were blown. Uh, you know, people rose from the dead. He led victory in his train. He sits at the right hand of the Father, always interceding for us. Mm. Jesus loves you. But when you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you, you got to say, you got to, if you're going to share it, share it with passion, with conviction. 
with knowledge. Put some punch in that fight. You know, it's like, oh. You know, sometimes we share and it's not that we don't know the Lord and we don't love the Lord, but we've got we to put a, a, a more stronger punch behind our, behind our witness. You know, we got to let people know. It's not, yes, Jesus loves you, but more about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his return. And his return. You know, people, people are all, you know, everybody wants world peace. Ah, let me tell you about world peace. There will be world peace. All right? And it's going to be for a thousand years. Now, think about it. Like, get into it. See, when Jesus returns, he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. All the nations of the world are going to flock to him, and they're going to give all their treasuries to him. They're going to be in awe of him. All right? And then... There's going to be a, he's going to take the devil by the throat, throw him into hell, slam the door, throw some chains on it, lock it up, and there's going to be a thousand years of peace. See, everybody wants world peace. It's coming. It's not coming through any world leader. Don't fool yourself. The best the devil can do is give you three and a half years of peace. That's what he's promised. That, that's what's basically the world. The word ter- tells us. Devil's going to come. He's going to come as a diplomat. La 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 la. And he's going to only give you three and a half years of peace. Then he's going to break his covenant with Israel, and all hell breaks loose. So when we share Jesus, share Jesus, share Jesus. You know, and I mean, and, and then sh- share your testimony, but here it is here. Peter shared Jesus, the Jesus he knew, the one who was crucified on the cross, the one you guys betrayed, the one you guys sent, the, you guys sent him to the cross, but it was predetermined by God. But you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, he let him know, it's your sin that he went to the cross for. You know, when we say, you know, Jesus died for sin or he died for your sin, you got to put some punch behind it got to tell who Jesus really is. So he proclaimed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Next, Paul. It says here in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, it's something amazing that was said here. Listen to what Paul says. He says that he is content with his weakness, but he's also content with insults. He's also content with distresses. He's also content with persecutions. 
He's also content with difficulties. But here's the beautiful thing that he says, for Christ's sake. See, how many times do we go through distresses? How many times do we handle insults? And it's for our own, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like I created it, so now I'm going, I'm going through it, and what am I doing? I'm complaining through it, and I'm the one who created the situation. But here it is, the situation he's saying here is it was for Christ's sake, so I can handle these things. But, he's, but the beauty of this thing here is weakness. You know, we don't like to talk about weakness. See, we all like to have that facade or that look that I've got it together. I don't. I don't, and yet we, we, and not only as a body, but it's very hard, we find it very hard to be vulnerable to one another, to let people in. See, what Paul did to Jesus was let him in. He said, Lord, I'm going through this thing here, and I really can't handle it. I'm being tormented by the enemy. Whatever the situation was that God allowed the enemy to enter into Paul's life. One, it was to keep him humble, but then to receive the word from the Lord that his grace was sufficient, that my powers meet perfect in weakness. What's going on here? There's intimacy between Paul and Jesus. See, I don't have to know what you're going through, and you don't have to know what I'm going through, but Jesus needs to know what you're going through, and Jesus needs to know what I'm going through. See, I don't have to know what you're struggling with, just like you don't have to know what I'm struggling with. And I'm not saying hide it, but what I'm saying is, is if I can't share it first with the Lord and receive direction on what to do, how to overcome, or, you know, just share the struggles of my life, what kind of a relationship do I have? See, the, one of the things with having an issue with intimacy is that we're afraid to ask for help. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid of being taken advantage of. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being labeled. And so because of all of these fears that we have not even gone through, we're, we're, we're projecting these fears on ourselves. We close ourselves off to the body, to the Lord, to healing, to deliverance, or even just the grace of the Lord. And so Paul is, one of the ways of fighting the good fight of faith is having an intimate relationship with the Lord and saying, Lord, I struggle here. I'm weak here. I'm utterly lost here. You know, and having that relationship with the Lord and, and pressing in on the Lord even when you're at your worst. See, when we're at our worst is the most time when we need to be pressing in on him, not drawing away. You know, we can have bad days. And then, the, and then when it comes time to go before the Lord, you're like, oh, holy God, after all I've just been through today, all I said, the words that came out of my mouth, my attitude, all the, uh, I don't, I, it, we, we begin to put the Lord at arm's length. And that is the time when we most definitely need to get into his presence. See, I need to confess what a bad day I had. I need to confess my bad attitude. I need to confess my bad mouth. I need to confess my weakness that I can't handle very much on my own. That the distresses that come my way or the, or, or the frustrations that come my way, 
that I seem to fold pretty quickly. And so an intimate relationship with the Lord is just even just saying, I'm sorry for my attitude today. Lord, the cleansing blood of Jesus, what does it say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. See, we think, um, um, and we hold on to our sins for too long. And then it ruins our day. It even comes against relationship. It, 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 it avoid, we avoid the presence of the Lord. We, 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 take, we, we, we put the word of the Lord at arm's length. And understand, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. And so there's no excuse for me not to enter into the presence of the Lord, knowing the truth of the word that all unrighteousness is forgiven by the Lord. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So an intimate relationship with the Lord is vital, and there's no excuse not to have it. So those are the three examples I wanted to give you about fighting the good fight of faith. But how do we as believers fight the good fight of faith? I just showed you three examples from Scripture of, of, of Jesus, of Peter, of Paul. But how do we bring it into everyday life? You know, it's a nice saying, fight the good fight of faith. But how do we do that? Well, I want to share with you two ways. We've seen three. I just want to give you two more. One is recognize the life that we live. See, it says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does is, what is the good fight of faith look like? It's recognizing whose life am I living. A life lived just for myself is a life of fertility and frustration. When I'm doing my own thing, I'm not very happy. Or if I am, it's, it's short-lived. But when I'm pressing in on the Lord, when I'm serving the Lord, when I'm using my gifts, when I'm using my talents that the Lord gives me, the, the, the joy that I have, the pleasure that I take from it, the, um, it's just I'm glad to do it, if I can put it that way. I love preaching, but I also love praying. I also love sharing the word of God. I love reading the word of God. I get excited at the word of God. I find things, I stop like, whoa, what is that? Wow, just like I was talking about the mountain thing. I stopped and I was like, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Took them on a high mountain. Did they climb? You know, I mean, I stopped. I had a thing. I never thought about that before. You know, Jesus was in sandals. That's, that's an impressive climb. I mean, I was in sandals last week on a jetty with Isabella. It didn't go very well. You know, I just... I thought, Isabella, let's go on the let's go on the jetty, and I'm got my flip flops on and <laughs> holding on. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, and then, you know, yeah, I'm thinking. It took them to do a very. They didn't have climbing shoes back then. There was no yeti with him. Come on, let me show you the way to the top. It says it was just him and the devil climbing a very high mountain. <laughs> that would be the devil. Timberlands are from the devil. But no, when you, th you know, it, it's just something when I'm reading sometimes, I think about, I'll stop, I'll be like, oh, let me contemplate this for a second. You know, I, I, I'm looking at this, and so I love the word of God. I love looking into the word of God. I love 
being at work and putting on worship music and just worshiping the Lord. And people tell me, shut up. Don't quit your night job. And I even tell them, hey, man, the crows have, have a, a song for the Lord in the morning just as much as this crow does. It's an old crow. But what I'm saying to you here is that when we live our life for Christ, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's fulfillment, there's joy. You know, there's a pep in our step. It's not always roses. Sure, there's, there's pushback. Sure, the enemy comes at us. Sure, sometimes we get discouraged. Sure, sometimes we get dismayed. Sure, we fall. Sure, we fail. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And what is that? Get back up, clean myself off, worship the Lord, find my joy and my strength in the Lord, and keep moving forward. And so fighting the good fight of faith is really asking yourself, who am I living for? See, I love this when it says in there, but I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave. Jesus died for me. Those nails were for me. The crown of thorns were for me. The whipping on his back was for me. Him carrying that cross down the Via Della Rosa, that was for me. Him being rejected by the leaders, oh, that was for me. It's for you too. I mean, I don't want to be selfish here. But do you understand? Well, that's personal. You know, when you can look in the mirror in tomorrow morning and go, he died for me. You know, and then be like, ooh. And you think about who me really is. Right? That'll, that'll shake you to your core. Like, oh, man, he died for me. He died for that sinful me. But he loved me enough that he died for me. And he loved you enough that he died for you. So fighting a good fight of faith is living not for yourself, but living for him and rejoicing in the sacrifice that he made for you so that you can live for him. Here's the last one. You got to have the right equipment. Listen, if you're going to fight, you better have the right equipment. The old saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, don't bring the, make sure you bring the Holy Spirit to a spiritual fight. But having the right equipment. And the, and the Bible tells us I've, he's given you the right equipment. Not only that, so if he's given us the right equipment, what's God telling you? Hey, fight! Get in the fight. Get beat up a little bit. But the fight, that he, the, the equipment that he gives us is defensive equipment to stand our ground. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 17, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wow, that's, I sound a little outnumbered there. Right, just a little. Spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, uh, powers and all of this, dominions. But it's, it says here, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Because guess what? If you don't have the full armor of God on, you ain't winning this battle. This day and age, this time that we're living in, in history, if you don't have your armor on, you're done. Too much going on in this world. Too much evil, too much stuff going on. And if we're not dressed for the fight, then there's no sense getting into it. It says there, 
Take up the full arm of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. What kind of a day are we living in today? Oh, it's an evil day. Wickedness is abounding. It's, it's arrogant. It's in your face 24-7. Turn on any news thing. You'll see the arrogance, the celebration of all things wicked, the justification of it. And so here it is, resist in the day, in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm then. And then it goes on to tell you with your, with your loins girded with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, when you leave your house in the morning, it's one thing to be dressed in the natural, but you got to be dressed in the spiritual as well. Because let me tell you, especially that helmet of salvation, there's a lot of things that go through my, my head in any given day. Past things, oof, um, proud things, all these things that go through my head. I'm like, whoa. But I got on the helmet of salvation. Then I got to take the sword. I got to take the shield of faith because guess what's coming my way? Those are flaming, fiery arrows. That are, why am I thinking like that? Why is this happening to me? I wasn't prepared to think like that. Hello, there's flaming arrows being shot at you. Put your helmet on. Lift up your shield. Get out your sword. Fight. Where'd that thought come from? Flaming arrow of the enemy. Just saying. So we, we, sometimes we walk dull of the things of the spirit. And we wonder, well, you know, uh, or, you know, there's, you know, it says we battle not against flesh and blood, but sometimes flesh and blood comes and battles me. You know what I'm saying? You know, somebody giving you an attitude, somebody telling, saying something about you that ain't true, or whatever it is. You know, and then you're looking like, hey, and then you, but it says, but my battle's not against flesh and blood. But flesh and blood comes and fights me. Flesh and blood says things behind my back. Flesh and blood lies about me sometimes. Flesh and blood's got a real bad attitude, that flesh and blood. You know, <laughs> and they get paid to have it. And so we have to understand the Bible is explicitly telling us we don't battle against flesh and blood. So sometimes the enemy is going to use the nearest thing next to you, flesh and blood. Could be a boss, could be a, uh, a, a friend. Could be a, a, a co-worker, could be a guy on the line while you're getting coffee, could be somebody driving this circle, and all of a sudden, the middle of the circle just stops dead. <laughs> Keep going, you're in the circle. <laughs> What's so hard about that? Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. We battle not against flesh and blood. We don't battle against Priuses or slow drivers either. You know, yeah. But we have to get in our spirit. We don't battle against flesh and blood. Yes, sometimes we can see the evil that is being portrayed through flesh and blood. We see it on the news. We see it in, in our politics. We see it like, whoa, that's evil. But that's someone given over to evil. We don't battle against flesh and blood. See, so... My fight is not with them. My fight is what's behind them. 
Because the Bible says it's the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. It's dominions, it's principalities. They're just because they're not born again and spirit-filled, they're like puppets on a string. You know, saying whatever, whatever the devil wants them to say, going with whatever the fad is of, of, the, of the moment. You know, when you have women getting up and say, I'm proud of my abortion. Whoa! Are you hearing what you're saying? Nope. And so, in something like that, you, you, I, I shudder, but I, I shudder for the, that person is standing on the, on the preposes of eternity without repentance for the arrogance of murdering an unborn child made in the image of God, who God showered with gifts upon their conception. It says, right, when we know it, he knit us together in our mother's womb. So God was intimately involved in the, in the shaping and creating of this child in the womb. I'm proud of my abortion. Whoa. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we battle not against flesh. Something like that, we just need to put your hand, lay, you know, stretch your hand now, pray against the demonic forces that have that person blinded and in pride and in arrogance and in unbelief and, and just in deep, thick darkness, in chains. So we have to have the right equipment. If I showed you before that Jesus used the, word, the, the sword of the spirit to fight the devil, we must too. See, sometimes we go to Jesus and we're all beat up and Jesus is like, Take your sword out. Fight. Take out your sword. Don't remember when Moses was when he came, when um, the Pharaoh's coming down with his army and there's Israel and then he, the Lord he cries out to the Lord and says, "Why are you crying out to me for? What's in your hand?" The fight's about to happen. Are you in it or not in it? Strike the water. Do something with that stick that I gave you. Right? It's the same thing that Jesus says. I gave you the sword of the spirit. Use it. You got the shield of faith. Pick it up. You know, and, and so we have to understand something. Sometimes we come to the Lord in defeat, and the Lord's like, I, you shouldn't be defeated. You've got, the, you've got equipment. You're just not putting it on. And if you put it on, you're not using it. Well, I, I don't know how to use it. Okay. Well, it says take up the shield of faith. Okay. Well, what's the shield of faith? Faith. Well, what does it mean? It takes faith to pick up the shield of faith. Well, well, then what does that mean? To fight against the enemy. Take this. Take your stand. And Satan, I come against you in the name of Jesus. I come against your attack. I come against your fiery arrows. That's faith. Now, somebody, be, you know, you got people walking by saying, that guy's a little weird standing there like that. But if you're going to pick up, you know what I'm saying? Lord, I have no peace. I've shod your feet. With the gospel of peace, take your stand. Take some, you know, take some peace. Walk in peace. So, you know, there's things when, when, when we go to the Lord, sometimes we got to understand. Sometimes when we're defeated, it's because we're not using the equipment that God gave us. And so it's time to learn to use it. It's time to learn how to use it. It's okay if you don't know how to use it. Put it on and, and Holy Spirit, show me how to use the, the sword of the Spirit. Show me how to use... The, the shield of faith. Show me how to use the helmet of salvation. Show me how to, use, how to protect my heart using the breastplate of righteousness. Show me these things, Lord. Okay, be humble about it. 
The spiritual equipment given us is to fight the good fight of faith. So there's no excuse for none of us, myself included, not to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to close with this. See, one day our fight's going to be over. It's going to be over with this world. It's going to be over with the flesh. It's going to be over with the devil. It's going to end. Whether it's because we breathe our last or we're raptured to meet the Lord in the air, one day the fight will end. And you know what I want to hear? I want to hear his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, the good fight of faith is not in vain because one day we're going to share in the master's happiness. But we got to get in the fight. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Pastor Rick.